revisit that. In doing so, I realized that the last time I preached uh, Psalms 51 was uh, around um, August of last year. And so it just happened to look down at some notes, but I don't want to preach the same message, but I do think that this chapter has an incredible depth to it. And if we're going to talk about uh, the brazen altar being the first stop when you get ready to pray and, and when you are wanting to be in the presence of God, we're talking about praying through the tabernacle. If, if the brazen altar is a place where we put ourselves on the altar of God and we sacrifice ourselves and we say, Lord, I don't want this to be uh, uh, the driving force. You know, it's the I must decrease, you must increase. It's laying that fleshly carnal nature and desires. It's repentance. All of those uh, is included in what it means to start your prayers at the altar. Um, one of the things that, that you're going to hear me say often is that praying through the tabernacle as I'm beginning to look at it and study it and, and try to even apply it to my own life, you can pray through the tabernacle in five minutes or five hours. I'm kind of convinced that every time I pray, I need to start with, Lord, I put myself on the altar, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me. If the priests were not allowed to minister unless they had first offered a sacrifice and been washed, then the same must be true for you and I. We cannot come into the presence of God unless we have first stopped at the altar. And so I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, and uh, 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse 5. I want to show you one verse that we're going to jump off from, and then from there we'll, uh, we'll get back into uh, Psalms chapter 51. And we're going to go through it, and then we're going to end with Psalms chapter 32, a, a part of it. Um, might help if I get me some glasses. Uh, Psalm, uh, 1 Kings chapter 15 and verse... Five, It says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he, God, commanded him all the days of his life. That's a pretty incredible statement. That David did what was right, did not turn away. Unfortunately, there's an except, at least here in, in the English Standard Version. Except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Now, David is an incredible study. David is phenomenal. And David, that is not the only sin that David committed, I can assure you. But how would you like for the annals of history of your life to have a glowing thing and then say, but there was that one gigantic sin? Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if they were going to write that, it would be not just but in that one instance it would be, but there were a lot of things that Brandon Buford messed up on, failed on, came short of the glory of God. But in that, I, I think the reason that that is, is so focused in Scripture is because of what all happened and how it ended. You know the story in the time that the kings should have gone to battle, in the time that the king should have been out leading his army, David sort of said, you know, I've, I've, I'm, I'm good enough. I can let other people handle it. I'll stay back and enjoy the, the 
beauty of my palace and enjoy the kingly things that I have and let everybody else go do the work. And in the middle of all that, he spies Bathsheba and lust is, is kindled in his heart and it ends in an affair. And uh, he kind of, you know, they go their separate ways until Bathsheba says, you know what, I got an issue. I've got a child. I'm, I'm with child. Now David realizes that his sin is going to find him out because it's pretty easy to understand Bathsheba if your husband who was one of by the way one of David's mighty men there's a lot of, of, of layers to this uh, this story that we're not going to get into but, but Uriah was one of David's mighty men and he was one of David's closest friends but Uriah was, was a captain he was out fighting battle and everybody knew he wasn't home and so if his wife is going to show up pregnant then something have happened that's not quite uh, kosher and so David says well let me get Uriah to come home and you know he can come home and then everybody uh, you know everything will be good and Uriah says man I can't do that I got to fight with my men and and finally David orders him home and Uriah sleeps outside I mean he's just all of this is is snowballing David thinks he can hide it and he can't and it's snowballing it's snowballing finally David gives the order to send Uriah out in battle at the front of the line and when they get close to the enemy, close to the city, have everybody else retreat. But don't tell Uriah that so that all of the enemy's arrows and, and attack would be fixated on that one lone individual. And Uriah dies on the battlefield at the commandment of a king that had committed a sin. And, and if you begin to look, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel begins to play out, especially there in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, that the Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan was a prophet, a man of God. And he says to David, there were two men in a city. One was rich, the other was poor. The rich man had a lot of herds, a lot of flocks, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb that he had bought and he had brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children and it used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup. It was like a daughter to him. It was, was not uh, uh, you know, something they were going to eat later. It was his pet. And the rich man, a traveler came to the rich man and he didn't want to go out into his vast herds and get a, a, a lamb that he could fix and so he took and stole that poor man's lamb fixed it for the traveler and as, as the prophet is telling the story David, his anger is kindled he's getting mad in it perhaps David thinks it's a real story that you know Nathan came for David's uh, kingly advice so David is getting mad and he said as the Lord lives the man who did this deserves to die and he should give back to that poor man fourfold and Nathan says to David you are that man the bony finger of a prophet the bony finger of a man of God points to David and David his heart is broken his heart is 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 uh, uh, well, let, let me put it this way, and you'll see later as we get into Psalms 51 and then Psalms 32. Don't get the cart before the horse. David first was sorry he got caught. How do I know this? Well, it's real simple. Uh, if you take the chronologic, the, the chronologic, the, the chron if you take the Bible and how it progresses through time, 
you will find that at the end of that, that prophetic statement, the prophet says, David, God's going to let you live, but your child's going to die. And David immediately begins to pray. David immediately begins to fast for that child. And he does that. And then uh, it was just seven days later that he gets word that the child, this unborn child had died or, or, or perhaps had, had died in childbirth. And David gets up and he, he cleans himself up and he stops fasting and he says, what's done is done. Well, that's at least nine months that has taken place between the sin and, and David getting caught in his sin. And so David was a little sad that he had gotten caught. In fact, just we're going to end it in Psalms 32, but why don't you turn there? Because let me just show you what I'm talking about. Psalms 32 says this, uh, and let's just look at verse 3. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all the day long. For night and day your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. And, and when you really begin to look at that, what David is saying is, I didn't repent, I didn't, uh, I didn't say anything, but the guilt, your hand, your shame, the condemnation was upon me. My bones were drying up. I was wasting away. My strength was dried up. And I would dare say that each and every one of us here today have had our own David moments where we have lived our life and, and repentance hasn't come easy but the shame and the guilt has been there and every time you try to pray it's too hard to pray because you're faced with what you have done and somehow in our warped mind we think if we don't tell Jesus he won't find out and so I'm not going to pray because if I pray I'll have to confess my sins but so I'm just not going to pray that way I don't have to confess my sins and Jesus won't find out and meanwhile you're wasting away and you are torn apart but somewhere David while he got caught and that was what propelled him to repentance somewhere David turned the page and David began to pin one of the most powerful prayers that I can find in the Word of God. And I'd like to read it pretty much in its entirety. And then I would like to take it apart piece by piece. Because if we really want to get in the presence of God, this is a great way to start. David wrote this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my, my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me 
with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God, of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I will give it. You are not pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good design in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll delight in the right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. And so it is that David begins to pray. The, 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 the psalm that I have, I've, I've broken it up into a couple places. The first one is that pleading uh, with God, not necessarily begging, but just, uh, if you will, to plead guilty in front of a judge. That's what David did. I've sinned. I've, I've, I've fallen short of the glory. And then there's a repentance and then a, a desire to, Lord, cleanse me and then a desire to restore me and then a desire to use me. Someone said what dirt is to the body, sin is to the soul. That David had defiled himself and so he starts with this, have mercy on me. One of the other ways to translate that and, and, and have mercy is a perfect way to say it. Uh, but, but one way is be gracious. I don't deserve it. Lord, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve that hand. I don't deserve any of it. But Lord, would you be gracious to me, oh God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. There's, there's three words that you find very quickly, at least in the uh, uh, English Standard Version. Transgression, iniquity, and sin. And while I would say that all of those could absolutely be uh, synonymous and you could intersperse them, when you look them up, because uh, obviously Psalms was written in Hebrew, and so uh, if you can go and read the Hebrew, which I cannot read Hebrew, but I've got some study helps that kind of help me know what each of those Hebrew words mean, and perhaps that's how the writers translated, but that word transgression could be better translated as a revolt a rebellion, or a crime. That David was not saying, I, I messed up. David was not saying, I, 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 I slipped. David was not saying, I, you know, I faltered a bit. David said, Lord, I revolted against you. My, I rebelled against your commandment. I committed a crime. And Lord, blot out my transgressions. That word iniquity is another way to translate it is literally to say sin or to say the guilt because you didn't keep the law. Cleanse me from my sin. That word sin there is better described as wickedness or offense. Those are powerful words that David chooses to use. But I find it very interesting that in that he says blot out my crime. The reason that becomes so uh, interesting is we're in the Old Testament. Nowhere in the Old Testament do I find a mechanism of the law that allows for a blotting out of the crime. What's the old, you know, it, it, don't, don't do the crime if you won't do the time type thing? The law says you've sinned, 
you deserve to die. I mean, when you look at the law, uh, there, there's, no, there's no gray areas of the law. If, you, if I'm, you know, wrestling with, with Matthew and I punch him and I knock his eye out, you know what the law says? Pluck my eye out. If I run over Matthew's foot with my car and he loses his foot, you know what the law says? Take my foot. There's no gray area. If you disobey your parents, especially if it's a rebellious nature of it, you know what they say? Take them out and stone them. And so now David, who is under the law, says, Lord, wash me. But this is the key that you have to understand, whether it's Genesis all the way through Revelation, and that is, yes, the law was there, but even in the midst of the law, faith was required. And if the law could not blot out sin, but faith in God and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world can. And David has a little bit of a prophetic voice that begins to issue forth. He may not understand it all. He may not uh, uh, be able to explain it all. But David knows the law is not the end judge. David says, Lord, I, I know what the law says and I absolutely deserve it, but I am throwing myself at the mercy of the judge and I realize there is something better coming and I've got faith in a God that loves me. Blot out my transgressions. The law, it keeps record. That old Christmas carol. By the way, we're now less than six months away till Christmas a couple days ago I wore my Christmas shirt just to celebrate it was like 97 degrees and I sweated but I had fun I even got a compliment on it made me feel good I was walking through the house yesterday and Zoe was singing a Christmas carol or something but it warmed my heart but uh it's the old you know he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake he knows if you've been bad or good so be good for goodness sake and he keeps that record that's what the law does the law keeps track. The law says this is what you've done. But the Lord, the, uh, 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 David began to pray, Lord, take away the record. Because David, again, he didn't understand it, but there's a prophetic twinge in his word. The blood washes. Thank you for the songs you've sung today and let us in brother Matthew because David was looking forward to a time that the law would no longer be what keeps the record but that there would be blood shed that removes the, tra the, the transgression that remisses the transgressions David begins to say I acknowledge I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me there's two things in that phrase. I know my transgressions, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. First off, David had had nine months of that sin staring him in the face. Nine months of wondering when the shoe was going to drop. Nine months of wondering, is someone going to find out? And, and perhaps David had, had sat and watched others been been uh, stoned for their same transgressions. David had watched others have to pay the price through the law for what he had done. And David, for nine months, had it hard to go to sleep and hard to wake up and hard to come in the presence of God. His sin was ever before him. So finally he got to the place where in the presence of God he says, I acknowledge my transgression. 
I'm, I'm saying all of this so that you can have a better understanding of how you can slip to that altar of the, uh, of the walking and praying through the tabernacle and what it means to really take a moment and stop by that brazen altar. This is what it means. Your, your sin is already on your mind. Your sin is already before you. The guilt is eating you up. You ought to acknowledge I've sinned. David did not say. Adam did. Adam said, uh, well, I sinned, but it's because the woman you gave me, you know, it was her fault. David could have said, well, yes, I sinned, but it's really not my fault. She shouldn't have been on the rooftop anyway. It's her fault. It's what she did to me. It's, it, 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 she started it all. David had none of that. There were no excuses. It was my sin, my failure. I've done wrong. And yes, David had, had, had taken advantage of Bathsheba. And I know it takes two, but David had taken advantage of Bathsheba. And David had had Uriah murdered. And the son that was lost was because of David's fault. And, and later on, uh, the, starting this Sunday, on Sunday morning, since we're in the, the month of July, I want to preach another series. At Sunday night, we're going to preach about the praying through the tabernacle. But on the month of, of, of Sunday mornings in July, when I'm preaching, I want to preach about freedom. And I want to talk to you about freedom from a few different things. And one of the, the times that we're going to preach, I'm going to preach about freedom from offense. Because offense in this world is huge and we're offended and we've been hurt and we've been wronged. And I promise you one of the things that, that as I go through that I'm going to use the story of Bathsheba because David wronged a lot of people. Uriah was one of his best friends. There were others that were involved in that. And David did not say because he understood what mattered first. It was not I messed up and failed with Bathsheba. It was not I had Uriah killed. He realized that all of that as bad as it is, he had to say, Lord, the greatest of those offenses is I sinned against you. We have to be careful that we make sure that we take responsibility of what we've done to God. Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. I'm a sinner. He says, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Paul used some of the same arguments in Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2 to say that no one can claim they live above sin because you're born in sin. And so even if David had not committed this atrocious crime, he would have still needed to pray a prayer like this because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He says, Lord, I know that you delight in that truth in the inward part. I know you have taught me wisdom in the secret heart. There's so many times, so many places in, in Psalms and other places that David has written that we find out that David loved or at least said he loved the Word of God. David said things like, I've, I've hidden the Word of God in my heart. I, I know that, but here's the problem. He knew the truth of God's Word. He said he loved it. But he had lied to himself. I can get away with this. He had lied to the people that he, he, he served. He had even, if you will, tried to lie to God. And so now he is asking God for truth and wisdom in the innermost being. Lord, no one else may know 
what I have done. Maybe, may, maybe I, I haven't been called out by the preacher like Nathan did. Maybe no one knows, but God, in the secret of my heart, you know. The Word of God is like a two-edged sword, sharp, powerful, quick, able to divide asunder of the joints and the marrow. The Word of God is able to pierce that inward man where all of our secrets and all of the things inside lay and we don't want anybody to know but David said it's not I, 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 yeah you, you, you caught me and I, I get that you caught me but Lord sometimes I'm just going to slip step, step back and I'm going to open myself up and say God shine a light search me and know me you know my thoughts teach me the truth in the inward parts purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean wash me and I shall be white as snow. Hyssop was a, a shrub that, that almost had a soap-like quality to it. They could take hyssop and they could put it in water and begin to mix it around. And it would actually create a lather that would clean. And so that's what David was saying. Lord, I need soap. Clean me. Purge me. Wash me. I want to be white as snow. And again, what, what we sung today, the law can't cleanse. David was not going back to the law and saying, Ah, Moses' law and the Ten Commandments, I need you. No, he was looking forward to the day that there would be a blood shed that could wash away all sin. And it's, it's like, i I, I got to go back to this because it's so important to understand. The Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. What that, mean, what that means is, and if you all recall, in the Hebrews uh, uh, series we did, I, I wrote a check out to Brother Sponsler for a million dollars. But I told him, you can't cash it right now because it'll be one of them rubber checks that bounces. But I said, what if I could tell you, wait until next year on this date, and I'll have the money in the bank, and you can cash that check. Everything that the law did was simply banking on the fact that one day there would be enough money in the bank to, to redeem those under the law. Every time that the day of atonement came and they sacrificed the goat, every time the blood of a bullock was sp spilled, it was simply banking on the fact that one day there would be a signature dipped in blood from a cross on a Golgotha's hill that would say it's not just for that day. It's not even future just for you and I. But he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Adam, you sinned, and I know it took some 6,000 years, but Jesus died for you, Adam. And the blood was retroactive to those that lived under the law and did things according. David was saying, purge me so I shall be clean. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you've broken rejoice. Again, it goes back to what we read in Psalms 32 where David says, your hand is heavy upon me. The guilt, the shame, the stress has eaten me up. It's, it's, it's breaking me. I don't know what to do. I, I dare say that there were some during those nine months that looked at David and said, man, are you sick? Is everything okay? What's going on? And David couldn't tell him what was happening because of the shame. But he knew what was happening on the inside. And now he's saying, I want to be glad. I want to rejoice again. Restore me. He had spent some time in repentance. Now he was asking for forgiveness. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Again, David is not banking on the law because there's nowhere in the law that says he'll regenerate you. There's nowhere in the law that says you can have a change of heart. 
The law says you're a sinner. The law says you're guilty. The law brings down the gavel. But David says, uh, I'm going to the judge. Lord, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. That word right there would better be translated a steadfast spirit. David said, I'm tired of waffling. I'm tired of living for you one day and not living for you the next day. I'm tired of a roller coaster experience. I'm tired of feeling good and then realizing my guilt. Lord, let me have a steadfast spirit that lets me walk in the truth and walk in the right and walk in the knowledge of Jesus and let me walk with you, Lord. Create in me a clean heart. Don't cast me away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Of course, we know that Holy Spirit here, it's not something new. It's simply God. God is a spirit, and that's how he works. And, and if you look through the Old Testament, there were moments that God would, 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 would kind of put himself into somebody. Uh, uh, King Saul had, had that. The, the spirit was on King Saul. But then King Saul, he uh, offered a sacrifice when he shouldn't have. He got... He got hasty. He, he didn't want to wait for Samuel, the prophet, to come. And he got a little arrogant and said, you know what, I can do this myself. Of course, I'm king. And so he offered that sacrifice. And then not only that, he, he, he was supposed to completely destroy the Amalekites. And he didn't. He kept the, you know, the best of the best there. And It was at that moment that God removed his spirit from Saul. And Saul went from being a, a king, the first king of Israel, that would have had a lineage like David had. And, and, and he could have been incredible. He started, even though he was head and shoulders above everybody, Saul started humble. Even on his coronation, they couldn't find him. But he ended, Saul ended his life a madman. David had to play the harp to calm him down. Saul had fits of rage where he would throw javelins where David was, was sitting. In fact, he even tried to kill his son Jonathan with a javelin. Saul had lost the Spirit of God, and David remembered that. David said, God, I'm no better than Saul. And if you removed your spirit from Saul and, and just because he offered a sacrifice, how much should you remove your spirit from me, Lord? I don't want you to I don't want to lose your spirit. I don't want to, to be lost. I don't want to go crazy. I don't want to go mad. Don't push me out of your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. David, when you begin to look, verse 3, you know, it talks about, uh, uh, you know, he, there, there's, there's eyes, there's a mind, there's ears, there's bones. Uh, if you look at some of his other writings, he talks about his heart and his spirit and his hands and his lips. David was, it, it kind of reminds me of, uh, of Peter. When Jesus went and stooped down to wash Peter's feet, and Peter said, oh, don't wash my feet, you, you, let, that's not going to happen, and and Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can't be in the kingdom. And what did Peter say? Wash all of me. <laughs> Start at the top of my head, go to my big toe. I, I want to be complete. David realized how his sin affected his entire body. And so he begins to pray, Lord, cleanse me. And it's more than a cleansing. I, I think we're not careful. We, we look at a cleansing as I've sinned and I feel guilty so we kneel down and we pray and we say, God, take the guilt away. And that's the cleansing we're asking for. But David said, I'm not just looking to be clean. I want to be restored. 
I want to be restored. It's one of the, 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 the things that we're going to push toward next Sunday night when we talk about stopping at the, the brazen laver. It's not just a cleansing. And I'm going to tell you, there's some deep things when we get to the labor. Things that I hadn't thought about until I begin to study it and, and read some other people's thoughts that, that help me kind of see it in a different light. But David said, Lord, I, I want more than a cleansing. I want a restoration. I want the joy of the Lord. I want the face of the Lord smiling down on me. I want joy and gladness. I want a, a new heart. I want to be able to stand in your presence and lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I, I want to be able to just at my house be able to, to, to pray and feel your spirit. I want to worship you without guilt, shame, and condemnation. That's what it means to start and to... And to, and to to start your prayers at the altar. The reason all of this matters is because you've got to think of David the king. You know the story of Solomon where we talk about Solomon being the wisest man in Scripture and the two ladies came and uh, uh, said, you know, one of them said, we each have a baby and... and uh, Somebody rolled over and, and killed one of the babies And that no one wanted to tell which baby died They wanted to keep it They were fighting and Solomon He says well I can, I can solve this Give me a sword And they gave him a sword He said I'm just going to cut the baby in half And I'll give you one half of the baby And I'll give you the other half of the baby And the one, one mother said No, 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 you, you don't do that You can give her the baby And Solomon knew that only a mother Only a true mother Would, not, it would be willing to give her kid up so it could live rather than be selfish and keep the kid and it be dead. Now, I, that's a blessing from God to have that wisdom. But David had that wisdom. There were those that would have come into David's palace and they would have lined up and they would have asked David to judge them. They would have asked David to help them. They would have brought great needs, civic needs and judgments and civil suits. They would have brought it to David. And as king, there were a time for perhaps nine months that if you allow me to use this he preached he talked it but inside he knew he didn't walk it he gave judgments to others that he himself wasn't following and it ate him up and David in his prayer he started right. He said, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned. It's my fault. I've sinned. I've come short of the glory of God. I need your touch. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. He says, because God, I want to be used again by you. He said, if you'll do all of that, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. My tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. You don't delight in a sacrifice or I would have given it. You're not pleased with a burnt offering. I mean, if anybody, if anybody could have given enough offerings to buy back their, their uh, forgiveness, David could have done it. If all it would have taken was a couple cows slaughtered, a couple pigs, or not pigs, a couple of lambs and a couple of goats, he could have done it. He could have, he could have, I mean, lined it up until 
Thousands had been slaughtered, but he realized that's not what's going to buy him back. He said the sacrifices that you deserve, that you deserve and that you desire are a broken, humble, contrite spirit. That's why there's nothing we can do that will buy back our, our forgiveness. You, 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 you can't do enough good things. You can't say enough Hail Marys. You can't pray enough. You can't uh, volunteer enough. You're going to have to be willing to humble yourself and stand before that altar and pray the prayer of David. Be careful you don't just pray the prayer of David just because it's there and you can kind of quote it like some mantra. You got to have the same spirit that David had behind his. Some say that verse 18 and 19 are kind of added later, but, and, and you know, that, that it's such a personal psalm, and then all of a sudden it goes talking about build up the walls of Jerusalem. But you have to understand that David was king, and he realized he had heard the story of Achan. Achan's sin almost destroyed Israel. He had heard all of these things, and he knew that even in his sinful state, Jerusalem was going to suffer. The kingdom was going to suffer. And so David in his prayer was even praying for Jerusalem, saying, God, touch them. I need you. Would you turn back with me to Psalms chapter 32? I want to kind of bring it together as we stand today. If you have... You know your 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 real Bible with you. This is one of those places where you you write at Psalms 32. You say, "Go look at Psalms 51." And when you go to Psalms 51, you write there, "Look at Psalms 32." That way, every time you get there, you you begin to flip back and forth because these two go together so beautifully. You heard me talk about I kept silent, my bones wasted away. But look at verse one. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered, not hidden, not, not covered like I didn't want anybody to find out, but covered by the blood. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. David said, I did it the other way. I kept silent. My bones wasted away. I groaned all the day long. I was guilty. Night and day, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. It was awful. But I finally acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover mine iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. That's the key. As long as you cover your sin, the Lord cannot. As long as you hide your sin, the Lord cannot forgive. And so I'm telling you, that the first thing I've got to do every time I pray is put myself at that brazen altar and say, Lord, I'm not going to hide anything from you. You already know. You already see. But God, don't let me hide anything from you. I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to say, here I am. And when I do, the Lord begins to let the blood of Jesus cover and the hand of God cover and the forgiveness cover. That's what it means to stand at the altar, that brazen altar, and start. I've given you some, some things to do, and I, I, I don't preach this to, to, to preach to someone that has some incredibly deep, dark sin. I'm not Nathan pointing my bony finger at you and saying, you're the man. That's not at all what this is about. 
This is about seeing what it means to sacrifice yourself on the altar. Have mercy. Be gracious. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I wonder if we could just do that for a moment. No one's listening. I'm not asking you to come to the front. I'm not asking you for any great grand shows of, of, of piety. I'm just asking for you to talk to God for a moment and practice what it means to stand in front of that brazen altar and say, here I am. Nothing's covered so that you can have your hand on me. Lord, would you hear our cry? Would you minister to us, Lord? Would you speak to hearts and minds, I pray? I need you, oh God. Your blood speaks a better word.